Wow, that is absolutely amazing. And uh, I, um, I mean, that's incredible. Is that not amazing to hear Shinwa belt set out right there? I mean, that is amazing. I mean, he is like killing it up here, and the band is incredible. And yes, I did say belch. I don't know what that was about just now, but um, it was absolutely amazing. And it's amazing, not just because they're talented singers, but it's amazing because it's true. And uh, it's not just a a made-up story, but we celebrate one of the greatest stories. It is the greatest story that can ever be told. And that's why we do Christmas Illuminated. We do Christmas Illuminated every year. It's my favorite time of the year. It's my favorite event that we do as a college ministry here at Buckhead Church because we get to illuminate Christmas. We get to reveal to people what the true meaning of Christmas is. And Christmas often gets lost in chaos this time of year because there's so many distractions that come at us. And so tonight, what I'd love for us to do is I, I want us to dive into the song that we just sung, and I want to uh, unpack the song that we just sung just so that you can see the Christmas story through the song that we just sung. But we've got a lot of guests in the room, by the way, and I just want to say welcome to you. I'm so glad that you could join us tonight. Many of you are here for the very, very first time, and I'm so grateful for that. Uh, You picked a great night to be here. And just so you know, there's a lot more music coming as well, so that's a really, really good thing. And there's some great dessert coming as well, and that's a really, really good thing. And so we're going to have a fantastic um, time tonight. But my hope, my desire for everyone here tonight is that this Christmas would be a Christmas that there is a renewed sense of hope in you, the thrill of hope of Christmas. I don't know about you, but uh, I grew up in uh, North Carolina, and uh, Christmas was a big deal in my house, and uh, my mom, from Thanksgiving till January 1st, that's how it worked in our house, we celebrated Christmas from Thanksgiving Day, or the day after Thanksgiving, I should say, to January 1st, and uh, my mom could be named, uh, her second name would be Miss Christmas, I mean, she loves Christmas, I mean, she loves decorating, I mean, we have trees all over the house, uh, she has uh, wreaths on the, all the windows, spot, multiple spotlights, not just one spotlight, but multiple spotlights on the house to, to celebrate Christmas. And I mean, it was crazy. And my mom sold me all about, I mean, she sold me Santa Claus. I mean, she made me believe it. Like, I mean, like, it's amazing how she got me on Santa Claus. But basically, I lived in the small town called Wilson, North Carolina. And um, to, uh, she, very early on, she let me know that the Santas in the mall aren't the real Santas, okay? And uh, she just said that. She's like, son, you know, they're, they're like his helpers. You know, they're not like the real Santa. The real Santa is not at the North Pole, but for some reason, the North Pole moved to Richmond, Virginia. And in Richmond, Virginia, there's a store there called Miller and Rhodes, which is also in a mall at the time. It's out of business now. But, but when I was a really young kid, um, you went to this, and it was the real Santa Claus. She got me. My, my mom sold me on this because... Because uh, the real Santa Claus has a snow princess, okay? Has a snow, I don't know if your Santa Claus had a snow princess, but my Santa Claus had a snow princess, okay? And the snow princess is key to the story, okay? Because um, I would go, I'd be waiting in line. We had an appointment to see Santa. He knew I was coming, apparently. And um, I would go visit, but before I get to see Santa Claus, I had to see the snow princess, okay? And I have my list, and uh, I would be off on the side talking to the snow princess, and I, what I didn't know was she had me, like, you know, turned around, facing away from Santa, and the person that was sitting on Santa's lap is now gone, and she's still talking to me about Christmas things. She's talking to me about my list, and then when she's kind of gotten all the information from me, she says, Brad, 
Santa's ready to see you now. And she'd send me around, and I'd turn around, and I'm telling you, at this point in the conversation, I am like Buddy the Elf. I'm just like, you know, I mean, inside of me is like, you know, Santa, no way. And this is me in 1981 right here seeing Santa, okay? Now, that's my image of Santa. I'm sure you have different images of Santa, but to me, this was the real Santa and I was eight years old at the time. I know that might be getting a little up there, but we didn't have the internet then. And I didn't know that you could find out that, you know, Santa wasn't real. And I could tell you about the story that when I found out he wasn't real and how bad my mom was, but we don't have enough time for that. But this to me as a kid was the thrill of hope. The thrill of hope. Like this became real to me. And the reason it was real, I mean, I've got my list there and I'm believing. Like when I turned around and his, this is what Santa would do when I turn around. He would, I would turn around and face him and he would say, Brad, it's so good to see you again. Again. Like because I had been there in 1980. <laughs> and it was real to me. And when I'm sitting here with my list, and I, you know, I might be trembling because I'm like, no way, this is incredible. But I've, I'm thinking like, Man, he's real, and what's on this list is going to happen because he's real. You know, and it was a thrill of hope for me. Now, that's childhood. That's, you know, all good, fun, and, and Christmas, and just the mystery and magic. And, but that's not what Christmas is about. And we miss it sometimes. And my question for you is, you, have you ever experienced a thrill of hope? Have you ever experienced a thrill of hope? Like, have you ever gotten, like, some news in your life? Like, you know, you have a family member that's dealing with cancer, and you, you think it's hopeless. And then all of a sudden, do you get the news that it's like, no way, it's gone into remission. They're going to be okay. Like, have you ever experienced a thrill of hope like that? Or, or um, you know, you get into the school that you want to get into, but there's no way that you're going to be able to pay for it. And the scholarship comes in. And you're like, no way, I'm going to get to go. Like, I'm going to get to go to the school. And you like, there's hope. Like, this is going to happen. My desire for us tonight, in our short time together, is that I want us to have a renewed sense of the thrill of hope, of the true meaning of Christmas. And the way I want to do that is I want to walk through this song, Oh Holy Night, that we just sung here and it's an amazing song, and there's a story behind the song, and I want to tell you the story behind the song before we get into the stuff. We can get the picture off the screen now. Um, the green pants are getting kind of old at this point, um, but they're cool. When you're eight, you can wear stuff like that, and people are like, man, that guy's cool, you know, at eight. You can't wear that, you know, in your 30s but, or 40s, which is me, but um, <laughs> the story, Oh Holy Night, uh, in, in 1847, uh, there was a, a priest outside the uh, town of Paris, France, okay? And he went to a poet in, this, in the town and asked him if he would write, write a poem about Christmas. Now, this was kind of strange because the poet was a wine seller and he didn't actually go to church, all right? But he was a great poet and the priest knew that and he was like, hey, I would love for you to write a poem about Christmas. And so the, the poet is like, man, that's an incredible challenge. So what he does is he goes to the Gospel of Luke and reads the story of the birth of Christ. And he takes it all in. And one day he gets in a carriage that's going to Paris. And he's thinking about the story that is told of the birth of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. And he gets in the carriage and he starts riding to Paris. And before he, before he even gets to Paris, he completes the entire poem. 
And he's so excited about the poem that he's like, man, this is amazing. This is like really good. Like he's pumped up about the poem. He's like, man, this is unfolded like better than I expected. It tells the story of Christmas. He's like, this should be a song. But he wasn't a musician. So the crazy thing was he had a friend who was actually in Paris. His name was Adolphe Adams. And Adolphe Adams was this famous composer. Like, like literally orchestras and ballets from all over the world would contact Adolphe. He lived in Paris. He studied in Paris at this conservatory. And he was like, hey, I should get my friend. My friend can write, put music to this. Now, this is crazy because Adolphe was Jewish. He didn't believe in Jesus. But he got the words from his friend, and he started reading the words, and he was like, man, I can put music to this. And this is crazy. So he pins, he, he scores the entire thing, the, the entire poem, and then he gets back in touch not only with, um, oh, I didn't even tell you the name of the guy. Did I tell you the name? Placide Capot de Rochemere is the guy who wrote the poem, okay? Now, that was my best French you're going to get, okay? And I said day, and it's supposed to be duh, okay? So it's Placide Capot de Rochemore is really how you say it, okay? And we're going to call him Capot, okay? So Capot is writing this whole thing, contacts his friend Adolphe Adams, and, uh, and Adolphe Adams sees Capot, brings the song to Capot and the priest, and they're so pleased with the song. They named it Canticle de Noel. Canticle de Noel, which means Song of Christmas. Song of Christmas. Now, pretty cool, huh? Takes a turn for the worse here. Okay? Capot was never really a churchgoer, and he ended up not like getting involved in church. In fact, he became a devout atheist, and um, the church... Uh, found out about this, and they didn't like it. Church leaders were like, hey, we need to stop singing Canticle de, de Noel because like, he's not a believer in Jesus. And they're like, no way, we can't do that because the, ch- the song had like, exploded in the nation of France in 1847. So- churches were singing it all over in the following years. And then simultaneously, when they figured that out, they found out that the composer was Jewish and didn't believe in Jesus either. And so the Catholic Church in France said, we cannot sing this song. They denounced the song. They said, it will not be sung in the Catholic Church in France anymore. Now, the song had become so popular that the people were like, forget that. This song is awesome. We're singing it. And the good news about that is it made the song famous enough that uh, an American musician... Heard about it. His name is right here, John Sullivan Dwight. John Sullivan Dwight was in Massachusetts, and he got a hold of the translation. He got a hold of the French version of this song, and he began to translate it. And when he got to the third stanza, he got blown away by what he discovered in the third stanza. He, sa- he sees this line. He says, he sees a brother where there was only a slave. Love unites those that iron had, cl- had chained. Now, you've never sung this line before because it's not in the song. He sees a brother where there was only a slave. Love unites those that iron had chained. Now, this is 1855 in Massachusetts. Everybody with me? 1855, Massachusetts, okay? It is crazy in our country. There's a whole group of people in the north, and they're like, we have got to deal with a problem that is in our nation. And the thing that's so amazing about John is that John was like, he was like, I want to eradicate slavery in America. 
And so he looks at this line. He's like, this is an amazing line, but I think it can be written a different way. And this is what he comes up with right here. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. And when he pins those words, the song takes off in our nation and is sung all over churches in the north. And that's why we have that song today. It is one of the most recorded Christmas songs of all time. And it is an amazing, amazing hymn. And I want us to look at it tonight because I want, there's some things, and there's actually three stanzas. Most people only sing two of them, and we're only going to look at two of them tonight. And uh, I think it'll help us tell the Christmas story as Capot looked at it in the Gospel of Luke. Okay, so the song begins this way. You just sang it, and you know it. But it says, Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Everybody's on the same page. They're writing the story about the birth of Jesus. They're setting the stage for that. And then the next line comes, and this is what it says. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. I want to talk to you about this line right here. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Now, what was interesting about Capot when he read this he started thinking about, in Luke 2, the announcement of the birth of the Savior. And the way the announcement happened, you know the story, but in case you don't know the story, I want to r- remind you of it. There are shepherds in a field, and they're just, it's a regular night. It's a, it's a, the stars are bright out. It's night. It's nighttime. They're hanging out. They're doing what shepherds do. And all of a sudden, an angel appears to them. Now, an angel always begins when he appears, he says something, he announces something, and he says, do not be afraid. Because anyone who has an encounter with an angel, the natural reaction is to be afraid. It's like, wait, wait a minute, why should I not fear in this moment? Because you are an angel and I am a human, and this is weird right now, I don't know what's going on. But, so that was the natural reaction, but then the announcement came. A Savior is born for you in the town of Bethlehem. And this will be a sign to you that you will find him wrapped in clothes, swaddling clothes, soft clothes, in a manger. And you can go see this. Like, this is what's going on. He he announces to them that the Savior has been born. And what's so amazing about this announcement is that up until this point, they are in Israel, the nation of Israel, and God had been silent for 400 years. He had been silent for 400 years, not spoken. So God spoke through the law of Moses. He gave the law of Moses. He had given the Levitical law, all these things that you shouldn't do, that you had to remain pure. And then he spoke through prophets about, hey, repent, come back to God. Come back to the one who's provided for you. And all of a sudden, prophets stopped speaking because God stopped speaking, and God had been silent for 400 years. He had spoken on two other occasions, actually three other occasions, before he appeared to the shepherds. The first occasion was to John the Baptist's father, when he was in the temple, which is crazy, because he's in the temple, and then the angel makes him mute, because he doesn't believe what the angel says, that you're going to actually have a son, and the son is going to prepare the way for Jesus. So that's one, one moment that, that some speaking, some, something happened where God spoke, and then the, uh, the other time is when God revealed himself to Mary. He was like, hey, by the way, you're going to be pregnant, you know. 
And she's like, how can this be? And she's like, no, no, you're going to be pregnant. And, and so she's now pregnant. And uh, the third time that God spoke was through an angel to Joseph because Joseph was going to divorce Mary. And he's like, no, no, no. Don't divorce. This is really, this is like I made this happen. This is for real. You're going to have a kid. Yeah, I know you had nothing to do with it. Yeah, you need to know that you had nothing to do with it. She's a virgin. I know that's crazy. It's a miracle, but that's, I'm God. And you're talking to God right now through this angel, okay? So that's the third time that God had spoken. And now there's shepherds in the field. Everybody with me? Shepherds in the field? They're sitting there. Angel appears, announces the birth of the Messiah. So long lay the world in sin and error pining. What had happened, long lay the world, is generation after generation for 400 years had not heard from God. And up to this point, the only way that you could pay for sin was with, you had to go to the temple once a year and you had to make a sacrifice. And it was a temporary appeasement to God. And all of a sudden, the news comes from this angel that there's going to be a permanent solution, that the Messiah is going to be born, a Savior is going to be born. This is amazing. So the world laid in sin and air upon it. They had been in a painful longing for some good news till he appeared. Till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. And see, what happened was the shepherds went to see if this was true. They left the fields. I don't know what they did with their sheep. I don't know if they left somebody behind. I don't know, but they're like, if you have an angel appear and tell you, hey, go check this out, I'm going to check this out. You know, there's no, like, no option in like, worrying about job security at that moment. It's like, I'm going to see what the angel just told me about. So they went to see the baby. And sure enough, the baby was there. Joseph, Mary, I mean, can you imagine being Joseph and Mary and being like, who are you guys and where are you coming from and why are you here? They're all alone in this inn, in this like, you know, barn area basically. And their baby, baby Jesus, is put in a manger. And the shepherds go, it's true. A Savior's been born. He appeared. Jesus had come. The Messiah is present. He is with us. He is God with us. And in that moment... The soul, this is composed words, the soul felt its worth. The soul felt its worth. I don't know if you know this or not, but all of you, every single one of you in here tonight are so valuable to God. That God loves you so much. And I don't know if you felt that lately. I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if you're thinking, man, I've messed up my life. I don't know if you think, man, there are so many things I've done. I, there have been so many things that I've done wrong. There's no way that God loves you. I'm telling you, God loves you. He cares about you so much. And he cares about your soul. It is the most important thing to him. He cares about your soul. He cares about your soul so much that he wanted to make sure that your soul could be alive. And he gave his son, he gave his son so that your soul could be alive and you could be restored and reconciled into a relationship with your heavenly father that you were created for. And composed words, he said, when Jesus appeared, the soul felt its worth. The second stanza that we're going to look at tonight. It's actually the third stanza, but, but um, 
This is what it says. Oh, I, I missed this part. A thrill of hope, which is what we're talking about tonight. So it would be really important for me to talk to you all about a thrill of hope. But when, the, when Jesus appeared and the soul felt its worth, there is a thrill of hope. I mean, I don't know if you get that or not, but I mean, at this point in time, there was no hope. I mean, there had been a promise of a Messiah, and there had been prophecies of a Messiah, but they did I mean, there had been 400 years of silence. I mean, no word from God. And then all of a sudden is a thrill of hope. Now, I don't know if you've experienced a thrill of hope, but this is what a thrill of hope is. I know you know what a thrill is, but we're going to define it to affect one with a wave of emotion or a sensation of excitement. Hope is simply this. To look forward with confidence. And you can look forward with confidence when you've seen the Messiah as a shepherd and you've laid your eyes on the promised one. It's like, yes, a wave of sensation will come over you. And I'm confident that this is true because I've had an encounter with an angel and now I'm seeing the result of what the angel told me. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices so we're going to look at uh, this third stanza. There's something else I want us to see tonight. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. His law is love. So this was uh, amazing when, when uh, Dwight got a hold of this. He was like, man, this is what Jesus is all about. He taught us to love one another, and his law is love. Jesus' law is love. Now, this is amazing when you think about the shepherds and when you think about um, the Jewish nation, because on many times when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment, his response was, well, you know what the greatest commandment is. You tell me what the greatest commandment is. He always was asking questions back. But what was the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he would say, and the second commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what Jesus' law of love is. What, what do you mean, the law of love? Well, he said in Matthew twenty-two forty, he said, the, the law and the prophets hang on these two things. The law and the prophets. Hang on, these two things. What do you mean when you say the law and the prophets? I mean, the Old Testament law and everything that was prophesied by the prophets hang on the fact that if you can love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you can love your neighbor as yourself, you can fulfill, you can fulfill the law. And that's what the law of love is. Now, I realize that many of you um, at Christmas time, you're probably not thinking about the law of love. I mean, seriously, I, honestly, pr preparing for this even tonight, I, even singing the song, as many times as, as favorite of a hymn that is for me, I've never gone into Christmas thinking of the law of love. I just haven't. And part of this renewed sense of the thrill of hope, I hope you, you will also consider thinking about the law of love because I know many of you, Christmas is not like the greatest time for you, family-wise. Statistically, in this room, 50% of us come from divorced homes. Christmas isn't fun. Like for some of you, you spend Christmas Eve at one place, and then you spend Christmas Day somewhere else. 
Or some of you wake up on Christmas morning and you do Christmas with one parent and then you have to get in the car and drive somewhere else and do Christmas with another parent. And you had no, nothing to say in the matter. You didn't get an option in it. No one asked you, hey, would you like to leave at 10.30 in the morning or 2 o'clock you know, in the afternoon? Or would you like to sleep in this year because now you're a college student and you stay up late and you sleep later? You, know, you don't get an option. It's like, no, you've got to be at this other house. And I realize Christmas might not be the greatest time for you. And the holidays not not be that greatest time because then you've got to deal with all the you know weird questions you get. You know what I'm talking about from family members. You know they want to know that they ask the usual and and please I just want you here please give them a little bit of grace because they're trying to relate but they don't know what to ask and so you know they ask you like you know um, you know how's school going and you're like uh, really don't ask me about that one right now I just got my finals you know back you know I'm already in trouble with mom and you just brought it up again you know. Come on. Isn't there a better question than that? But, you know, give them some grace. But they're just trying to make conversation. Or then they ask the question like, you know, um, so you're dating is anybody? You know, I mean, that's the next question because you're in college. And, of course, you've got to be dating somebody. Like, at that point, and you're like, no, if I was dating somebody, don't you think you would have heard about it like three weeks ago from my mom? Like, you know, don't, don't you follow me on social media? Don't you think you know that I'm, you know, and then, well, then they follow up with the worst question, like, do you like somebody? You know, and it's like, well, I, do I really want to talk about that? Because the person I like doesn't even know that I exist right now. <laughs> you know, it, it just gets worse. You know, it just kind of goes downhill. And, and it's like, you know, really, I have to deal with it. I'm, I'm having to juggle all these different homes, and I'm having to deal with all these questions. And, and the worst is when the aunt shows up, you know, and she has kids. And, you know, they want to play the comparison game, and they start off with the conversation. It's like, oh, you know, uh, Sarah won't be here because she's off with her boyfriend right now and, her, and his family. You know, that's the, the, the start of the conversation. And, you know, she's home from Duke University, and she's, like, killing it in school. And, uh, and she's like, oh, hey, Sarah's going to Australia studying abroad next semester, you know, and on scholarship, by the way. You know, and it's just all these things, and you're like, Merry Christmas. You know, I mean, you know, I, I get me out of here, you know? This is the worst. And it's like, come on, seriously. Think about it. I mean, come on, parents, can't you do a little bit better? Aunts and uncles, can't you just, you know, just be like, what's up? Just have normal conversation. Relax, let me sleep, you know, that kind of stuff. Go back to eating your food. But I, want, I bring all of this up because I, I just wonder if this Christmas, if you would consider... If you would consider, like, what does it look like for you to exercise the law of love? What does it look like for me to fulfill the law of love with my family members? What does that look like right now? And I'm not saying you've got to be nice, and I'm not saying that you've got to, like, you know, uh, go the extra mile and just be, like, all, like, quiet and not confrontational, because you probably need to confront some, you know, family members, but I wonder if in the moment, if you ask this question, what does it look like for me to fulfill the law of love, if you could take the hostility out of it or the hurt that's there and you could try to take a step as an adult and be like, hey, I'm going to fulfill the law of love this Christmas. Just wonder if you'd consider that. Finally, the last thing that you need to know in this, in this line is the gospel of peace. His gospel is peace. And I really want to explain this and I've got to wrap up here, but... The gospel of peace, you need to know the word for peace is shalom. It's the Hebrew word, shalom. 
And, and people think like peace, like, you know, shalom, peace. And, and Jews say this all the time to each other, peace. And, and we have no idea what that word means. Because when, when Jews say it, they get the context of it. Because it's, it's not just about like no war, although that would be incredible. But it's, it's, it's like that there would be a completeness, that there would be a wholeness there. That's what shalom means. It means complete. And, and the good news of Jesus Christ is that he made a way for us to be complete. See, because the world was in sin, we were separated from God. And we could not be complete. And the good news of Christmas, the good news, the gospel of peace, is that God has given us a Savior that has made a way for us to be complete again. And the way he makes us complete is he restores us, reconciles us into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's what he does. He reconciles us and makes us makes it possible for us to be restored. That's the good news of peace. So I'm just wondering tonight if there's anybody in the room that would think, man, for the first time, I didn't know that. And I would love to put my faith in Jesus Christ for the very, very first time because I want to know and experience the gospel of peace. You see, for you to experience the thrill of hope, you have to know the gospel of peace. To experience the thrill of hope, you need to know the gospel of peace. You cannot have the thrill of hope unless you know the gospel of peace. That Jesus Christ, that God made a way through Jesus Christ for us to be reconciled into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. So we're going to wrap up here. The band's going to come. But as, as they're coming, I just want to say there's two groups of the room I want to pray for tonight. And the first group is the people that have never put their faith in Jesus Christ before. And I just want to give you the opportunity to do that right here in this room tonight. That this would be the first Christmas that you experience the thrill of hope. And the other group of people in the room tonight, I just want to pray for you because I feel this to be true. That some of you are going back into horrible situations. And you're not looking forward. Yeah, you want finals to be over with and you want to get through that. But there's not like good news on the other side of that when you go home. And I just want to pray for you as well. And so how we're going to do that is we're all going to bow our heads. And when we do that, I'm going to pray uh, for us. And then you can respond to that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father. We thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you so much for the opportunity for us to gather tonight and celebrate the greatest gift that you've ever given in your son, Jesus Christ. That not only was he born, but he came on a mission to pay for our sin, a permanent sacrifice as he demonstrated on the cross for us. And not only that, but he defeated the power of sin and death and was raised again. God, we thank you for that truth tonight that we can celebrate that in this place. And so right now, anyone who wants to put their faith in Jesus for the very first time, would you just pray this prayer with me? Repeat these words after me. 
Father, I come before you tonight acknowledging that I am a sinner. That I need a Savior. I thank you for giving me your Son, Jesus Christ, as my Savior. I thank you that his death on the cross paid for my sin. And I thank you that he rose again from the dead. Defeating the power of sin and death. God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for giving me eternal life and for the opportunity for me to know you as my Lord and Savior. And for the rest of you in the room, I just want to pray for you that if you know right now you're going into a hard situation. And if that's you, would you just slip your hand up in the air and say, I want prayer as I go home for the holidays. Can you just, just right now, just lift up your hand up in your seat. I just want to pray for you. Every eye is closed here. And there's hands all over this room. And I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for these students. I, I pray, God, that they would feel your presence with them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would comfort them. And I pray that you would lead them, God, into their homes. And that you would help them, God. That you would give them wisdom and discernment. That you give them patience on how to fulfill the law of love as they're dealing with estranged relationships. God, you can do that by your grace and in your mercy. And I pray that you would lead them. That it might not be the best Christmas, but it would be uh, a step towards healing in relationships. A step towards reconciliation this year. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Hey, I just want to say thank you so much for coming tonight. And if you prayed the prayer to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I would love for you to come uh, see me at the end of the night or come see one of the singers from the night, Shinwa, Seth, Paul, Kristen Fry, Christina, Christian, our staff, Mitch in the back, and just be like, hey, I prayed that prayer. I, I would love for you to tell somebody and just say, hey, I prayed that prayer tonight. I put my faith in Jesus. And this, I hope, will be the best Christmas that you've ever had up to this point. We're going to celebrate and sing about the birth of Jesus Christ. And there's still a lot more coming. So would you stand to your feet as the band comes and we'll continue to celebrate now.